Glens Falls. It's 8 o'clock. Good morning. This is Northern Light for Thursday, January 25th. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. Every county in the North Country lacks mental health providers. Senator Gillibrand is pushing for a bill to incentivize them to move here. We need to draw them out of those cities into rural areas and into underserved areas to make sure that we have the care that we need in all parts of the country. This this week marks 51 years since Roe v. Wade was passed and a year and a half since it was overturned. Governor Hochul and leading Democrats are promising to keep protecting abortion rights in New York. Also, the FBI says white supremacy is the greatest terrorist threat in the U.S. and here in New York. As part of our continuing series on far-right extremism, a conversation with the state's commissioner of Homeland Security. Far too many white Americans see black protest as threatening without any evidence that it is actually threatening or actually violent. And that's a legacy of racism. Times Square in the Southern Adirondacks is the setting for a new play that premieres this weekend at Ticonderoga High School. All of that is coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by AdirondackExplorer.com and AdirondackAlmanac.com, presenting daily updated news on public policy, environmental issues, and local communities in the Adirondack Park. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. This week marks the 51st anniversary of the U.S. Supreme Court's abortion rights decision, Roe v. Wade, which was overturned about two years ago. In New York, Governor Hochul and Democrats and the legislature vowed to continue steps to keep the procedure legal and safe in the state. Karen DeWitt reports. Hochul, speaking before Planned Parenthood groups gathered at the Capitol, says in New York, which legalized the right to abortion in 1970, three years before Roe, the anniversary of the landmark decision was a reason to celebrate. Now, she says, instead of mourning the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe in 2022, she's taking steps to strengthen the right to choose the procedure in New York, including offering a ballot amendment in the fall elections. That is why the right to an abortion will be enshrined forever after this November's election because it's on the ballot. The Equal Rights Amendment to the state's constitution would protect the rights of pregnant people as well as LGBTQ plus New Yorkers and people with disabilities. The amendment would also prevent the state from ever implementing a ban on abortion or stopping state Medicaid funding for the procedure. Democrats in New York hope the ballot amendment can raise voter turnout and could be a deciding factor in some competitive seats for Congress that Republicans gained in 2022. Hochul says she's urging other blue states to take similar steps and codify abortion rights into their state's constitutions. Because if they have the courage, individually, 50 states, to enshrine these rights, we can thwart what the Supreme Court is trying to do to our nation. We can set them backwards 
by showing that the power rests with the people and the power occurs at the ballot box. Hochul's actions are part of a larger strategy among Democrats across the nation. Both houses of the New York State Legislature passed a number of bills to strengthen abortion rights and to improve maternal health care and other reproductive care. The Senate sponsor of a bill to protect women's reproductive health privacy online, Liz Kruger, says New York has been coordinating with other states led by Democrats to pass the same measures. We're trying to do parallel laws throughout the country because when we get our country back and turn things around at the federal level, we would like to have exactly those same laws become the laws of this country. And frankly, we don't want to have 50 different sets of laws when these are national issues. So we're hoping we all, in the states that haven't lost our minds, actually pass these exact same laws. On the Senate floor, some Republicans who are in the minority in the legislature quietly voted against the measures that support abortion rights. But in what was perhaps a nod to the issue's potency among New York voters, who are predominantly Democratic or independent, no GOP senator spoke about the bills on the floor. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt for the New York Public News Network. More than 120 million Americans live in areas where there's a shortage of mental health professionals. That's acutely felt in rural places like the North Country. New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand is supporting a bill that aims to help address that. It would incentivize these workers to move to underserved communities. Kara Chapman has more. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand says almost 3 million adult New Yorkers have mental health conditions. That's more than 10 times the population of Buffalo. And she says when people with mental illnesses don't have access to care, it can lead to all sorts of problems. Far too many end up incarcerated, unhoused, or losing their lives to overdose crime or suicide. This can be an enormous burden on our society and economy as a whole, imposing millions of dollars in direct and indirect costs. Gillibrand says the federal government has designated 55 of New York's 62 counties as mental health professional shortage areas. That includes every county in the North Country. The senator says rural areas deal with all sorts of challenges that make it hard to attract people who work in behavioral health. Rural areas often are harder to get to, are not population centers, are the North Country, for example, um, has a very low population. It's just not a draw or a prevalent place where healthcare professionals um, start their careers and, and stay. Gillibrand's backing a bill that aims to change that. It would offer federal loan repayment assistance to mental health professionals who agree to work in underserved areas, which tend to be rural or communities of color. The program would provide individuals with up to $250,000 in student loan repayment over the course of six years. Eligible loans include those taken out for master's or doctoral degrees or postdoctoral study. Gillibrand says medical degrees are expensive, and practitioners gravitate toward the places where they can find work to help pay for them. Those tend to be cities like New York, Boston, or Albany. We need to draw them out of those cities into rural areas and into underserved areas to make sure that we have um, the care that we need in all parts of the country. Gillibrand says the bill still has to be passed, but she says she's hopeful because it has bipartisan support in both the House and the Senate. Kara Chapman, North Country Public Radio. 
The Watertown-Fort Drum area had the highest unemployment rate of any metropolitan area in the state last month. That's according to the latest jobless numbers from the New York, uh, from the New York State Department of Labor. The area's 54, uh, 5.4% unemployment rate is slightly higher than New York City's. Meanwhile, nearby Lewis County had the third highest unemployment rate among all 62 counties in the state at 5.6%. Hamilton County and the Adirondacks had the highest rate among counties at 7.4%. St. Lawrence and Jefferson counties were also in the top five. The statewide unemployment rate last month was 4.5%. The city of Watertown's public transit system will add new stops this spring. According to the Watertown Daily Times, City Bus will extend service to the Samaritan Summit Village Senior Facility and the BOCES Technical Center on Route 3. That could happen as early as the end of April. The system is finalizing the new routes and will use a new bus purchased last year to expand its offerings. And a snowmobile club in Lauville is sponsoring a snowmobile safety course next month. The Valley Snow Travelers Snowmobile Club will host the course at its groomer building on Rector Road on Saturday, February 10th. Participants must be 10 years old uh, on or before the day of the course. Children ages 10 to 13 must take the course in order to drive a snowmobile while accompanied by an adult. 14 to 17-year-olds need to take it to drive one by themselves. We have more information about how to register for the course on our website, ncpr.org. Listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. It's coming up on 10 minutes past 8. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Coming up, a new play on the Adirondacks gets its world premiere in Ticonderoga this weekend. We'll have a preview of Times Square coming up in just a few minutes here on Northern Light. Music by Dan Duggan and Peggy Lynn out of Lake Clear. And uh, coming up tomorrow night, Friday night at 7 o'clock, Dan's going to be calling a community dance at the Whalensburg Grange with live music by High on the Hog. Stop by the Whalensburg Grange for a community dance tomorrow night, Friday night, 7 o'clock. Dan Duggan calling the dance. He does a great job, by the way. And fabulous music by High on the Hog.
Top security officials in New York and around the U.S. say domestic extremism is a top threat, especially as we get closer to the upcoming presidential election. Some of the far-right groups that played a key role in the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol have a real presence in New York, like the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. The far-right landscape in upstate New York is the subject of a new podcast from North Country Public Radio called If All Else Fails. In this bonus interview, Emily Russell and Zach Hirsch speak with Jackie Bray, the state's commissioner of Homeland Security and Emergency Services. Bray dives into how prevalent far-right extremism is in New York, which groups are active in recruiting, and what role New Yorkers have in preventing the spread of violent extremism. We're seeing this incredible rise in hate-filled violence and hate-filled vandalism and hate-filled intimidation. And what we think we have to do to stop that is, one, we have to absolutely prosecute to the fullest extent criminal acts. But number two, so much of this are things that end up being largely protected by the First Amendment. And what our job is, is to make sure we have the tools and the tactics in place to interrupt before violence happens. And and threat assessment and management teams work to help us do that even before something has been triggered where law enforcement can be the right response. Commissioner, many people in law enforcement are politically conservative and might feel some level of sympathy for a group like the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers, which actively recruits veterans and police. How concerned are you about extremism within law enforcement? Very. Full stop. We know that domestic extremists and organizations, the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, the Three Percenters, the Boogaloo Boys, uh, recruit in formal military and in active law enforcement, active retired law enforcement. And it is incredibly concerning to me the fact that we not only see that across the nation, but we certainly have instances of that here in New York State. I think that it is incumbent upon our law enforcement agencies to recognize how deleterious, how undermining to trust between law enforcement and the community, allowing people who are members of those organizations within our ranks is and uh, has been, is, will be. And I think New Yorkers should be aware that that is a tactic of these groups to recruit in law enforcement and former military, and that we're going to have to take some action to protect our law enforcement from that. We've interviewed folks about the far-right movement and violent extremism here in the North Country. And a response we hear sometimes is that the Black Lives Matter movement is more violent and more disruptive and that there's too much focus on the far-right and that that's unfair. What would you say to that? That's factually not true. The FBI and the Department of Homeland Security for the two previous administrations, so both in the Trump administration and in the Biden administration, have been consistent that white supremacist violent extremism is the greatest terrorist threat to the United States, and that holds for New York, too. And while there has been an undermining of the sort of broad acceptance of institutional information, the truth is that when we look at the facts, we see far more violent extremism and violent extremism that leads to death 
from racially and ethnically motivated violent extremists in the white supremacist and the neo-Nazi groups. Those are just facts. We don't see anywhere near that from groups like Black Lives Matter. It's not in the same category of groups. That doesn't mean that we don't look across the political spectrum for extremist activity, but we have to be clear-eyed and honest about where most of that violence is coming from. And right now, most of that violence is coming from white supremacist, anti-government, anti-Semitic, right-wing extremists. I would not be doing my job if I wasn't honest with New Yorkers about the actual facts. And those are the facts. Why do you think the Black Lives Matter movement is the focus of those kinds of responses from folks? Racism. You know, our original sin in this country is that of white supremacy. This country was founded on the backs of black Americans, enslaved people, with land stolen from indigenous Americans. And that legacy persists. And as a white American myself, I have to own up to that. I have to acknowledge that. Far too many white Americans see black protest as threatening without any evidence that it is actually threatening or actually violent. And that's a legacy of racism. So dozens of New Yorkers have been charged for their role in the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. How concerned should we be about more of that kind of political violence leading up to the next presidential election? U.S. elections are safe and they're secure and it is incredibly important for our democracy that we all go out and vote. I am confident that in New York State, we have the resources and the plans and the coordination we need to make sure that our elections are safe, that our elections are safe from a cyber perspective, that our elections are safe from a physical perspective. Um, but, you know, obviously the fact that we even have to have this conversation in this country, in this day, is heartbreaking and is designed by people who would prefer autocratic and authoritarian government to suppress our vote. And I think New York won't let that happen. And uh, I'm confident that our elections will be safe this year. Knowing that there is online extremism activity in New York, you know, that far right flyers are going up, that there are groups that are active and public in a way, I, I guess what role does the public have to play in this moment? That's such a great question. I'm so glad you asked it. I think two things. I think the first thing is that we all have to realize that we are in this moment of increasing hate and extremism, and every single one of us has a role to play. Your role might be to challenge that hate at the dinner table or to challenge it out at the bar with your colleagues after work, simply saying, yeah, I don't believe that. No, I'm not, that's not cool with me, is an important way to reassert the norms in this country to reassert that hate really has no place here. And then the second thing I want people to know is that you should not be a bystander to someone radicalizing in your own circle of loved ones. If you have a kid who is online and is going down rabbit holes and then is saying stuff at the dinner table that you know you didn't teach him or you know you didn't teach her, it's almost always him, but you know that you didn't teach them. 
if you have a student in your class, if you have a cousin or a parent that you feel like has been radicalized over the last several years and you're worried about, there are ways to seek help. You do not have to be a bystander watching family members radicalize, regardless of the ideology. Right? It's not about ideology. It's about the fact that we live in a multiracial, pluralistic, democratic society that is worth fighting for. And fundamentalism of any type that leads to violence is a threat to that. That was Jackie Bray speaking with Emily Russell and Zach Hirsch. Bray is the state's commissioner of Homeland Security and Emergency Services. That interview is part of our new podcast on far-right extremism in upstate New York called If All Else Fails. You can listen to all episodes right now wherever you get your podcasts or by going to ncpr.org slash fails. Listening to Northern Light right here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. In just a minute, we'll hear from a local playwright and two cast members in the new play Times Square, opening this weekend in Ticonderoga. Then stick around after the show for Bird Note. We'll check out the range of songbirds from the tiny golden crowned kinglet to the hefty common raven. That's just ahead at 842. But first, Todd has a look at the weather for us. Yeah, still some icy roads, slippery conditions this morning, occasional light snow, or maybe still some light freezing rain in the forecast today. Highs this afternoon, upper 30s, near 40, winds out of the west-northwest. Maybe some freezing rain tonight, rain tomorrow with highs near 40 on Friday, and then cloudy skies, light snow possible on Saturday. Right now, cloudy, 29 degrees in Canton. The new play at Times Square, written by English teacher Kyle Lang, gets its world premiere at Ticonderoga High School this weekend. It sounds like it might be set at a major commercial intersection in Manhattan, right? Well, actually, there's another Times Square in New York, a well-known 46er crossroads in the southern high peaks region of the Adirondacks. The new play centers on two friends, along with stories of the trials and tribulations of many other high Hikers passing through the trail. I caught up recently with playwright and director Kyle Lang and two of his cast members to talk about the show. Lang says the story explores the perspectives of hiking in the Adirondacks and life, but you don't need to be a hiking enthusiast or an expert on the Adirondacks to enjoy it. It's in the Santanoni range of the high peaks. It's sort of a crossroads that you hike to in order to climb Santanoni Peak. Cooksacraga Peak and Panther, and it's one of the least popular uh, ranges in the in the forty six high peaks. So uh, essentially, the story is our our main character Tom guides his friend Jordan to Times Square in the Santanoni Range, and Jordan has three peaks. These three peaks left to finish for forty six. Um, Tom has already completed the challenge, but he's only willing to bring Jordan. To Times Square because he has a great disdain for 
the three peaks in the Santinoni range. So he says, I'm going to stay here at this junction and I'm just, I'll point you in the right direction. I'm going to point other hikers in the right direction. So Tom positions himself there and he encounters a great number of other hikers who, who wander through all the characters are at sort of a crossroads. Mm. So the other hikers he encounters from, um, you know, a pair of formal former lovers that uh, just happened to both sign up for an ADK hike and they haven't seen each other in seven years. Um, those characters come in and out as well. So we get to see the literal adventure of climbing the high peaks, but also, you know, there's something else going on. So the story is uh, at the same time about the nature of relationships. So, uh, you know, Tom and Jordans and all these other hikers he encounters um, while he's positioned there at Times Square. And he also flashes back to, because he and Jordan climbed 43 of the peaks together. So throughout the show, we see these characters coming through in real time. We also see Tom flashing back to some good times with Jordan and also some not so good times some difficult times because we all know the nature of relationships. They're, they're complicated. So uh, his relationship with Jordan is complicated. And, um, you know, why didn't they finish the 46 together? Well, he's guiding her there to do that, but... Um, there's a reason why they only did 43 together. And, and you kind of discover that over the course of the story. Great. And I want to meet the other two folks sitting there with you. So if you could each start with your your name and your role in, in the show. I'm Quinn Lang. I am in 11th grade and I'm Jordan. Jordan can be super nice and then she can also be like super mean in that's one of my favorite parts about playing Jordan is I'm not just this funny, shallow character. I'm not just this dramatic, mean character. Jordan's kind of very well-rounded. She's kind of everything. So it's really fun to act as her because she's a very mood swing. She has a lot of mood swings. <laughs> uh, I'm Carter. I'm in ninth grade and I played Tom. As soon as I picked up the script at Times Square, I just, I wanted to be Tom. You can ask Quinn Jordan here. That's all I wanted, to be Tom. And I used to, before auditions, go to Dunkin' Donuts with <laughs> Quinn and just run lines over and over and over again until auditions. And I think the real reason why I love Tom is because I see a little bit of myself in him. I can bring him to life as his own character, but also part of me. And that's awesome to me. Are you an outdoors person yourself? I'm an outdoorsy person. It doesn't really matter if you are, though. It's a show for everybody. You don't have to be a hiker to enjoy this show. Uh, writers write what they know, Kyle. Is that true? And and do you, tell me a little bit about life in Ticonderoga and the Adirondacks and the mountains and the woods. And is this um, something you know? It is. And I think that's true. You do write about what you know. Um, I'm a 46er. I finished back in 2009. I think it's interesting maybe just to get into my inspiration for the story. Obviously, when you spend you know, so many miles, so many hours, so many days on the trails, you just encounter many little stories. And there's a lot of humor in those stories. So I've just sort of collected those in my head, you know, over the years, hearkening back to all the good times on the trail. And um, I finished the 46 with my brother, Seth. And also our friend Tom happens to be my mom's first cousin as well. So my cousin Tom, I guess I should say. And the real Tom told me a story one time around the trail, and it was about the Santanoni range. And he was guiding his cousin there. And Tom had already finished them. And he guided his cousin there and said, I'll take you as far as Times Square, but I'm not going to go any further because they're too buggy. They're too muddy. But I'll just sit here and point people in the right direction. So that little story stuck with me. 
I was on a walk last winter in Ogunquit, Maine by myself. And for whatever reason, that just popped back into my head. And I was, I was trying to, I had some ideas for some new material um, to write a new script and that just popped in and, and the premise of Times Square was born just on that little winter walk on a cold February day, you know? And I think as somebody else pointed out that it's set in the Adirondacks, it's set in, in a specific spot in the Adirondacks, but an audience in Manhattan would get it as much as an audience in Ticonderoga. Yeah, I sure hope so. And I think so. Absolutely. <laughs> the, the themes are universal. It's really about people and relationships. So you, it's, it's, I think those themes are universal. I think if you are a 46er or if you are a hiker, there are some things in there that you'll be like, oh, that's cool. Like, like you've hiked these mountains that these characters are hiking. I think that's a cool, like, little Easter egg. And there's a few other things that are like, of only a 46er might get, but the audience, it, it's not going to change anything about the story. This is a world premiere. This is pretty cool. Nobody's ever seen this show before, and you're blazing a trail, and no pun intended, but with with the, <laughs> the roles and the characters, and how does that make you feel? I've never been in high school drama club before, so this is an experience for me, because I'm a freshman, so this is my first year. Having, you know, being the one of the leads in a world premiere is it's very exciting, and I get to make Tom a character, like, be the first Tom. So our school is, like, very diverse. There's a lot of athletes, and then there's a lot of music kids. There's a lot of drama kids. And a lot of, there's a lot of crossovers as well. But I think it's really cool in our school that, like, these kids, the starters on the basketball team, they know our play is going to be good. They'll be in the audience. Like, I know they're going to be there. It's really cool that kids that aren't necessarily in our clubs or in our groups come to support us. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we have such a diverse school with different sports and just everything. And they're all so supportive. Like any any link that's posted about Times Square, you know, you find the captain of the basketball team reposting it. Where where else do you really see that? Carter Mack and Quinn Lang portray Tom and Jordan in Times Square, which premieres this weekend on stage at Ticonderoga High School. We also heard from Kyle Lang. Quinn's dad and the playwright and director of Times Square. That's it for Northern Light. Morning Edition continues in just a minute. Then join us later this morning for a conversation preparing for the age of AI scams. That's on 1A between 10 and noon this morning right here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Monica Sandreski. I'm Todd Moe. Thanks for listening. Be well.